Hello and welcome. My name is Chris. I'm Creston. And this is the Rubber Duck Dev Show. Tonight, we're going to be talking about project management. Well, we're going to do part one of project management this week. Uh, we're going to be talking about the, the techni technical parts of it, like the tools, the processes, the systems, all the techie bits. Next week, we'll talk about the people part of project management. But this week, we're going to focus on the, the techie stuff. Alrighty. So, um, First thing we need to, to do, because I've I've actually had this conversation, is kind of define what we're talking about when we say project management. Project management is not issue and bug tracking. I've had too many conversations with people who say, yeah, I'm a project manager. I track all my bugs. What else do you do? Well, that's project management. No, that's not project. That's part of project that's bug, management. That's bug tracking. Yeah. That is an important part of project management, but project management is a much bigger scope than than bug tracking. So um, I just I just want to get that out of the way initially so that we understand the scope of what we're talking about here. Um, also, when I say issue tracking, I'm talking about both bugs and new features. That's the term I use. Not everybody does. But when I say issue tracking, that's what I'm meaning. Um, so any ticketing really is what I'm talking about when I say issue tracking. Um, but would you create a ticket if you're developing a particular type of feature? Well, it depends. Most of the time, yes, I would create tickets and, and I would have them tagged as features, feature requests, uh, because you have to track it somehow. You know, sales, sales comes on and says, hey, we've got a customer that wants this feature. Great, I'll write a ticket for it. Then we, in our next um, scrum or our next session or whatever, however we do it, we can talk about the priorities of the different tickets, bugs and, and features all in one place. So yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so why don't you do us a run through of um, models, project management models. Okay, well, I mean, of course, the classical one is the waterfall where you're defining everything up front, <laughs> tons of documentation to define exactly what is required, and then throwing those docs over the wall for the engineers to, to code. Yeah, waterfall is fantastic if you're building a submarine. <laughs> Other than that, <laughs> So, um... And of course, there are then there's the agile bucket. I guess I'll consider there's waterfall and agile as the two big buckets, and there's a whole right. bunch of different stuff under agile. So, and agile to me, and it probably means a lot of things to different people, but to me, it means getting as close to the people who have the requirements and working very closely with them. So it's not as siloed. There doesn't have to be as much documentation there's more real-time interaction between the people who are need the product, designing the product, and the people who are building the product. Right. And with Agile, I mean, there's Scrum, there's Kanban, there's Scrum Band, which combines Scrum and Kanban, <laughs> Lean, Extreme Programming, yeah. Right. So it seems like the industry, the, the develop, like web development industry, is mostly settling around Scrum and Kanban. That's that's what I run into almost exclusively. Nobody uses Waterfall anymore in, in the context of project management for web development uh, because it's just documentation like that, that level of pre-documentation is, um, is obsolete as soon as you're finished writing it as fast as this moves. If you're yeah, doing yeah. something like developing the Mars rover, you need big think upfront thinking like that and documentation. You have to be very careful. But, um, you know, for something like web development um, programming, it, it moves too fast. And you're just going to spend a lot of time on documentation that is of zero usefulness two days after it's finished. Yeah. And then the ability to, the other thing that, is different. Like even with 
like if you're developing something for a Mars mission or a submarine, that's software you're going to write once and patch very little. Or if you have a on the shelf piece of software you're going to put out there, that that version of software is going to be out there for a long time, say two decades ago. But nowadays when you can have a release every five minutes, if you want, <laughs> of a different version, yeah, it's because you have that malleability, malleability, being able to make changes so quickly, um, having all that rigid documentation up front makes less and less sense for, as you're saying, for web development and right. a lot of other forms of development. Yeah. So Waterfall still has a place, just not, I don't think, in programming or web development. Other industries. Yeah. Or, or, need or it, particular, but... or the programming of you know, web programming or probably mobile programming, right. but it also depends if you're, if your application has to be critical to like a human life and you need multiple redundancies or something like that. True. I then, guess, you know, like programming the space shuttle needs some forethought to it and yeah, some documentation, yeah. but, um, but yeah, in the, in the context of like business web development. Yeah. I think, I think most people have, left behind those type of heavy modeling and have um, moved to Scrum or Kanban or a combination of the two is what I see most often, actually. Um, so so let's talk about what is Scrum and Kanban in a, in a general, I mean, not too deep, because you can, there's whole classes, courses on Scrum. Um, so we can't do Scrum all of master. that. But, yeah, that's right. But um, what, what are those two things? Well, I mean, Scrum is basically usually defining um, a particular product backlog. So the product owner kind of defines, hey, we are the things that we need to build. And then the development team tackles those in usually weekly, I think, sprints. So they define kind of what slice of that product backlog they're going to take on and deliver a functional piece of software at the end of that, say, week, if the sprint is a week long. Okay. How do you understand it? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't actually used it. I haven't actually used Scrum in any capacity. Right. Well, I, I have used it quite a bit. However, I will say that, you know, I read all the, the Scrum books and and understood the process and stuff not once in any real project have i ever not modified that somehow to fit that team and that product it's there's no if you do it by the book it's not going to succeed very well i don't think because it just there there are so many variables that go into just that sprint just that one or two or four week um movement of of code and product that you can't you can't encapsulate that in a static methodology it, it it has to be fluid and i think to be honest that that extreme programming and scrum and things were intended as guidelines to for fluid development processes that could change without massive problems um, so I think, I think that's what their intent is. So, and, and so, yeah, Scrum to me is just short. You deliver, uh, business value very quickly, um, you know, within weeks, small bits of business value many times, as opposed to once a year, you put out a bunch of business value, right? So that's, that's kind of what Agile development is to me and it's faster communication um faster feedback from things outside of development um you know getting getting things into testing and qa getting them into final users hands doing quick alpha testing and and well, all uh, of that's kind of agile but as opposed to the actual scrum process right it, it is um so scrum scrum is essentially I, those terms from what I'm talking to people have almost become interchangeable um, so when someone says agile in a, in a web development environment 
they generally mean scrum and vice versa. They, they don't really make a distinction in the field anymore between those things. Um, and, you know, scrum is a, it, it does have a lot of technical bits to it. Um, and it's important to understand all those so that you can take that framework and and modify it to, to fit what you're working on. But it's um, it's not really... I don't think that Scrum is practiced in a... Um, I, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. It's not, or, it, or do development shops say they're doing Scrum, but they're not really doing Scrum as it's described on the website? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, but like I said, I've never been in a position where I have done Scrum exactly like it's described on the website. It's always some kind of yeah. modification of that framework. Yeah, I mean, every, like the development shops I work with, they say, okay, we do a stand-up and we talk about what we're doing. You know, they do stand-up, so they do some aspects of it. And then they do the work that they're going to achieve um, for the given week on a particular segment of work to do. Right. And, you know, of course, the product owners have their own set of things that are, but it's more, I'll, I'll say, I'll use a technical term, loosey-goosey. It's much more <laughs> loosey-goosey than actually described on, you know, the methodologies and whatnot. Right. Um, when you look at the website, when you look at books, or if you're becoming a certified scrum master or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I, I can see if you have a big project to do with a defined timeline, then adhering more to the process makes sense. Now, for example, I'll, I'll bring up some of my history and the tool that I most used when I did, now the biggest projects I have done have actually been um, system migrations. So they weren't greenfield development projects. They mm -hmm. weren't me doing a, a programming language, but it was actually implementing a new software package in an organization. Like um, think of a module of an ERP solution uh, or something of that nature. And I ran the project using Microsoft Project, which probably everybody is like, Oh no, <laughs> but, um, you know, that was, and like agile wasn't a thing when I ran this project right. and agile was of course more akin to software development, but there the processes were okay. Breaking out the tasks needing to do, putting the de dependencies in between those tasks. So there was still a process to it. Um, was it a waterfall? Not necessarily. Again, I think that's more of a software development, um, more applied to software development. Um, but it was basically tracking each task and then being able to determine when the end date was because we had a date to go live. Whereas a lot of software development projects, basically it's, we want to get this feature in by this quarter or we want the first version of it by this time frame. It's, it's more, there's, it, there's more flexibility, right. I think. Yeah. To be able to cut scope, to hit a time if you need it, or extend the time a little bit if you want to achieve a particular scope. And, and I think that's necessary that that think that flexible thinking because web development. Every project I've been on, when somebody says, "Hey, I want this new feature," mm -hmm. it's usually something that is thinking way outside what's actually been done. Uh, especially in the scope of that product. So you have to spend time. You can't just say, oh, yeah, that'll take me two days because you have to spend time doing some investigation and, and tinkering with things and finding out, OK, what's this really going to take? And by the time sometimes by the time you get to that determination, you're almost done with it. So it's, yeah, you know, it gets a little tricky. And so it, it, I think the intent of scrum and the, the agile methodologies is to is to be able to do that kind of movement um now what about um kanban because i i don't have any exposure to that i mean i know there's a kanban board and you you know you move things over and whatnot most have you actually 
other than people using Trello or something like that, have you ever used a Kanban board? Most pro most agile project management tools, and we'll look at some here in a minute. Most of them have uh, what I would consider a Kanban board that they yeah. use for, especially for their issue tracking and work assignments. Um, so I, you know, I I think those things kind of go hand in hand, just based on necessity because Kanban isn't really the methodology. I don't think it's, it's, it's more like the tool you use to implement agile methodologies. I think there is actually a, there a is a bit of a system, but there is a Kanban methodology technically, but I don't, I don't really run into it that way in the wild. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's no usually, one says, hey, we're doing Kanban. Right. It's usually they're doing Kanban insofar as they're using that as a model to implement their Agile methodology. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I almost always see them together anymore, especially if you're actually using like electronic online tools and stuff um to to do the project management they almost all have uh something like that which leads us into i guess that's a good segue to take a look at talk about some of the tools um that we use for project management so um let me switch over to the thing here so i, I mean the big ones are and they even call it a scrum board not a Kanban board. Right. So and, and oh, there is a Kanban board. All right. Yeah. Well, there you go. They're technically different, but there's the 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 differences are so technical that nobody really Yeah, I'm looking at it. It's like differentiation the, yeah, in the no, field. What's the what's the big deal? And and honestly, I don't know many senior level developers that could that could explain the difference between Scrum and Kanban. And I don't think it matters. There's, there's not, I mean, you should understand the concepts of those things so that you can use them properly. Um, but I mean, look, it's identical. Yeah. There's a to do <laughs> right. column. There's an in process cover there. Yeah. Pretty much identical. So, and this is pretty much what I see. And, you know, Jira supports this and Jira's obvious for, from Atlassian is one of the big ones that a lot of big companies use. Yeah. Um, you know, Trello, same type of thing. It's a board um, type thing. Um, and a lot of companies use this. Trello's really good because you can get into it for free. So if you're doing small team or small project stuff, this is a good way to start um, getting exposed to that kind of project management. Uh, GitHub, now, I, I mean, they have project management. Um, yeah, so, you were just telling me about this yeah, last I, week. I don't think this has been around long. I haven't had a chance to mess with this much, but... I, I still think it's in like a beta or you have to get invited or something. Yeah, but I really want to get my hands on this because one of the things that I like to do is try to have, you know, an all-in-one tool. Well, I mean, Jira is that too. Eh, can't you... It is. If you like Jira, <laughs> you can... Well, it is, except for the fact that because GitHub project management will be native to GitHub and everybody uses GitHub for their source control. That doesn't, um, doesn't, does Jira provide source control? Um, I, I haven't used Jira. Other than, let me rephrase that. I've used Jira from a consulting perspective where someone says, hey, here's a ticket we want you to work on type thing. Yeah. Uh, the times I have used Jira, it has been backed by GitHub source control. So okay. they've done the oh, integrations there. I mean, me too, there. because every, like the clients I'm talking about, they're, yeah. all of them use GitHub. So does it have source control? I, I think they may used to, but I think they may have taken it out because there really was not a lot of point to that. Um, because everybody's just using GitHub. But I'm excited to see this project management from GitHub because... Well, they, they have Bitbucket, right? Isn't that Jira? Atlassian Bitbucket? Right. 
Oh, do they? I don't know. Because I, I, I don't use Bitbucket. I, and I've never run into a, to a... I've never been involved with a company that uses Bitbucket. Everybody just uses GitHub, so... I, I mean, know. I've... I, yeah, I... I have seen repositories and whatnot using Bitbucket, but yeah, I mean, all of my clients that I work with, they use GitHub. Yeah. And some of them use Jira for certain things. But yeah, but so Jira and Bitbucket are developed by Atlassian. Right. And this is, I mean, Jira is a, a fine project management um, suite. It's got all the reporting you need, the Kanban boards um you know dashboards assignments multi multi-person team assignments and all that kind of stuff so it's a it's a fine project management tool i'm interested to see how github's project management is going to stack up to that uh there of course is a, a thing called zen hub that is a project management plugin for github um i think they're, I, they're probably unhappy right now yeah. Well, I think actually what I heard was that GitHub actually incorporated some of this stuff into their product. Now, whether there was any kind of sharing with that, I don't know, but probably. Um, and then there's there are literally hundreds of project management um, online tools like Monday.com and ClickUp and teamwork and you know Face it's camp yeah it's just an endless thing um so you know all i can say is that the ones that i in unfuddle actually i use for many many years which is not full-fledged project management but it's a little more than issue tracking so it's kind of halfway there um but I will say that that Jira and um, Trello and Basecamp have really been my go-tos for project management, for technical project management. Um, the only issue I have with Jira is it's kind of expensive. So if you're a you know if you're a small company, um, getting into this is a little little tough, but not not impossible. If you're just starting out with project management, I would go to Trello just to get the feel for the Kanban boards and how that stuff works and playing around with it because you can get free accounts for this. Or GitHub's pretty inexpensive, so I wonder how much yeah, their, I don't their know. project management will eventually be. I haven't seen pricing on their project management yet, so I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but they do have... I mean, they're going to have full stuff, and they're kind of... It's what I've seen so far, the, the glossy brochures I've seen, it ties directly into the stuff they've already got. So, for instance, wikis and and um, activity graphs and stuff, it, it kind of uses leverages a lot of the technology that they're already using in GitHub. So it'll be familiar to people that are using GitHub, which is nice. I really want to take a take a whack at playing with this thing as soon as I can get my hands on it doesn't seem that I I haven't been able to figure out how to yet though so but they're also putting the CICD stuff in here into GitHub which is nice and pair programming implementations um, so it looks like they're trying to the GitHub is building up a full featured suite of development project management tools which is could be great if they implement them properly. Um, now, the question becomes, are those things necessary for technical you mean projects? The tools? Yeah. It's having something like this, a Trello or a Jira or a GitHub or something. I mean... <clears throat> If all you're doing is bug fixing, or if all you're doing is, all right, we need to build the next feature of an existing product, I'll go out on a limb and say, 
they're not exactly necessary because you can manage that in other ways or use other tools to do it. If you're truly doing a project like a temporary complex endeavor with multiple people involved, then I think tools like this are a necessity. Like for example, when I was doing, and again, it's not software development, but like we had software developers on the project doing certain things. But when we were doing the system migration, I can't imagine not using a software tool to do it. And that was 20 years ago when I did this or 20, 20 plus years ago and you know, use Microsoft project or whatever. Um, so today, if I were to do a project like that, it would probably be using one of these tools. So if any kind of that product, uh, excuse me, project with a lot of moving parts or like you're developing a piece of software for the first time with a certain defined feature set, well, not necessarily, but you know, then I would think one of these tools is essential. Yeah, and I'll say that- What, that what do you think? I, I'll say that I would never do them without, I don't even do any of my lone wolf consulting type stuff without something like this working on it. So um, yes, I think they're essential. The more people you have on a team and the more distributed they are, the more essential this becomes. Yeah. I'll also say that the more people and the more distributed they are, the more important it is to get closer to following um, Kanban or Scrum or whatever Agile methodology um, becomes. Um, because if I'm just sitting there working on my own, I don't really need to follow Scrum. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm having my own standups every five minutes as I'm talking to the, you know, as I'm rubber ducking my, my issue. But um, I, I don't, as you build teams, especially as they become distributed, having that methodology in place along with these kinds of tools is, is absolutely a necessity. Yeah. And, and for what I was saying, like if you're just building certain features or having, um, or dealing with issues, I think you could use other tools and you don't necessarily need these heavy project management tools, but once something becomes more complex, uh, in terms of what you're building or, or more comprehensive, as well as I definitely agree that both that number of people, the distribute, how many people are distributed as even how many hierarchies are involved in it, how many hierarchies of management, then those tools importance in the adherence to a particular methodology ramp up. Right. And with multiple people, especially not just the people on the coding team either, the developers, but also the the communication with all the other stakeholders, um, the, yeah. be it customers, your CEO, sales, whatever. If you don't have tools like this to, to um, synergize the communication channels, you end up spending all of your time in meetings and you can't do anything. So... You, you have to have something like this to get the communication from one place to another and have all the information centralized so that everybody knows what's going on and we don't have to have a meeting every five minutes to explain everything to everybody. So. Hey, I sent that invite for the Zoom meeting. Are you going to join? <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's have a meeting. Let's have a meeting to find out why our meetings are going so slow. Um, so documentation, let's talk about documentation and project management. So there are, this gets into the realm of planning, requirements, gathering, um, maintenance documentation, um, the, the hit by the bus scenario type of things. So what, where do you, uh, see needs for documentation in modern web development project management? So, of course, the documentation is essential for I mean, I think things are going toward documenting by code as much as possible. So like in if you're talking about setting up 
an infrastructure that'll be done using code to a certain extent, as well as other documentation or how you do particular things to avoid the hit the bus phenomenon and what you're working on and documenting documenting what you're working on in a tool such as this. So documentation doesn't necessarily writing a document, but it could be writing code describing the process that you're doing or keeping up to date some of these tools to what you're doing. Like before, I think there was a more rigid documentation that you had to be doing, but now you're using the tools to, we still call it documenting the process, but you're still doing it within these tools. So I think that is essential for communication and to know what's going on. In terms of doing that to capture requirements, I mean, you need to do it in some way. So for example, although the tighter loop you have, you don't need as much documentation if you are the project manager and the programmer, because essentially it's all in your head. So you right. don't need to document anything. Well, not sure. In terms of what that. is what is to be built. Well, still not okay. sure I agree. And here's okay. here's why. The hit by the bus scenario. If all that stuff is in your head and you get laid up in the hospital for six months, right? And the company has to bring in somebody else to follow you through. They're going to need some kind of documentation to understand what you were thinking when you were thinking it to a point. Now, I agree that going banana crap with that stuff is, is a complete waste of time. Um, you know, like we talked about last week, Tests, RSpec tests are a great source of documentation and you gotta, you need to do them anyway. Um, so I don't think writing a bunch of, you know, God awful requirements documents is a, is a necessity, but um, putting in like stories or tickets or whatever your terminology is where you are for requirements that's that's how I normally will do requirements documentation is I'll just write a story for it that goes into the ticketing system. That way, if we ever have to look back and say, well, what did they say they wanted? I, six months from now, I don't remember exactly how they said it because now they've said these four other things. So, you know, I, I think it's important to document it to, to that extent. Yeah, so here comes in when you have your own software product and you're the president of the company, <laughs> yeah. things act a little differently. Yep. You know, so for example, when kind of like in that scenario, you don't need as well, I mean, you still need to address the hit, hit the bus scenario. So you still need a plan for how you're addressing, but you don't need a whole bunch of in-depth documentation. But um, definitely the more people on the project, the more documentation that's required. Right. And just so just for the viewers knowledge, the, the reason we see these differently is because Creston owns a software development company and develops his own product and and has his own um, project management stuff going on. So whereas I am working for big corporations in large team environments, so we have very different requirements because of our different environments that we're developing in. Both of us are primarily Ruby on Rails developers, but we have very different environments because of the, the I, I'm mostly team-centered and he's more more on the lone wolf side most of the time. Yeah. But, you know, but again, in my consulting, what generally happens is that someone comes to me with the, their idea or their, and then we develop something from, from that point. So for example, they may put a ticket in JIRA and I take a look at that and develop, develop the plan and put some documentation in the JIRA tickets. Okay, this is how I'm going to approach this. This is what I'm going to do, and you know, do this setup and staging or something like this. And then 
they may communicate back a little bit. So there, that documentation is is done in that sense. It's like right. whenever you're interacting with with others is where it becomes critical to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the other thing is when I've done kind of the lone wolf programming scenarios, I find that I just get very lax with that part of project management um, because it's not nearly as necessary when I'm in those environments. When I'm when I'm in large team environments, I, I'm documenting the crap out of stuff because I don't want to have to tell 10 different people the same thing over and over. <laughs> I just want it in the, it, it, here's the story. Go look at it. You, it's, it's there, you know, or let's have one, one meeting and talk about these things or, you know, but uh, yeah, it's the lone wolf environments are, I, what I find for me is that this stuff kind of drops by the wayside for the most part. I'm still very aggressive about tests, but. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to kind of what we were saying before. If you are the product owner and the developer, you don't need as much documentation as you do when, the, but as you add more people, as those people are more distributed, as you have multiple layers of management or different teams you're interacting with, the requirement for documentation goes up. So let's talk about requirements gathering, because that's a huge part of project management. If you don't understand the product you're trying to do, you can't really manage it. So um, what are some ways to approach requirements gathering in different scenarios? I'm probably doing it more as I've used the technical term loosey-goosey in terms whomever is approaching me said, okay, well, what are you, you know, what are you interested in? What are you wanting to build? Um, and then are there any visuals that can assist with that? So, so for example, if they are, I haven't used a particular methodology with regards to requirements gathering. Mm -hmm. So it's more been, off the cuff to determine that. Um, I do know there are, you know, wireframing and mock-up tools, but I haven't used those as of yet. Because actually, I mean, a lot of the work I'm receiving in terms of consulting is very defined. Like for example, they know kind of what they want to achieve and what they want to build so it's not as open field for example mm -hmm. like i do a lot of database consulting and there like there it's more defined hey we need this server set up in this way with these features and whatnot or hey can you help us find out why this particular set of queries is slow or why the database is doing this or you know so in terms of gathering requirements it's not like building a greenfield project as much. Yeah. Well, and I, I've seen... And, like, and even then, I'm, I, if it is going to be going that way, then I seek out visual guides. Like, so if you want, a, you know, want me to build this particular thing, what visual reference do you have? Right. That I can call upon. Like, is it like... Trello, but sideways or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or give me a, just draw a picture and scan it in and send it to me. What what do you want it to look like? And something. I've actually done that, I think. I've actually, I've just written something on a sheet of paper to share it with someone. Right. Which works just fine. It's nice and fast. And it's, I got a piece of paper and a pencil here. Boom, boom, boom. We're done. Actually, I prefer a whiteboard, but still, you know, same thing. Same concept. Um. So, yeah, and, and I mean, you... That's a good point, too, is that requirements gathering is going to differ from am I doing some consulting work? Am I, you know, am I doing some, am I doing maintenance stuff? Am I doing um, just a new feature? Or are we doing whole product design here? Um, 
you know, going in fresh product design is going to have a tremendous amount of requirements gathering and market research and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I think, um, cause when I started doing programming professionally back, you know, when the Germans were still bombing England or whatever, um, we we were having to write down there there were these forms that were for requirements gathering and they had all this stuff you had to fill out and it was handwritten forms you fill out all these forms you put them in a notebook and you've got all your requirements documentation and it would take forever and nobody ever went back to look at those things so that's kind of where i i got the the sense that um the pre pre-done documentation was most of the time pretty worthless because it was just paying lip service to hey let's write all this stuff out and then nobody ever used it it sat on a binder on a shelf and gathered dust and you know it represented months of work so um yeah i i mean if you're going to be doing documentation, I mean, that's something that I think should be said. It needs to be used. Right. If you're just producing something, I mean, I hate to say it, but, but again, the more number of people on a project, there's always going to be a, a CYA moment. <laughs> sure. Cover, cover, or CYB, cover your behind. Right. When something goes sideways, then you could bring up the documentation or the email. Hey, look, it said do it here. Right. But I think I, I, what I'm starting to notice has been a good workable pattern in all the different types of requirements gathering I've had to do um, is that it all boils down to I'm going to write a story for it. I'm just going to put a card in. An, a, a ticket, a, a story, whatever your methodology is, whether it's, hey, we've got a bug, or we want this new feature, or we're developing a new product and here are the things we want it to do. All that stuff just becomes stories in the system that you're gonna be using. And then it's all available to everyone and it's used because you actually use those to move that story along and do the actual development with it. And then you can use it for prioritization and planning and all that kind of stuff. So what I've found, the pattern I've, I've noticed and I've been using and it's been working really well is I treat requirements gathering all the same from a mechanical standpoint, regardless of where those requirements are coming from. Um, which, which really simplifies the communication channels because it, it's not, okay, we're, we're doing bugs. So I have to go look at this uh, ticket here. Um, but this thing is a product, new product. So we have to go look at this, all, you know, all these word documents and all this spreadsheet stuff. It's all in the same place. So you're just saying you you're going back to you treat everything as in like a GitHub issue, for example. Essentially, yes. I mean, you just tag them appropriately, and it, it, I just find that makes communication a lot easier. And my brain doesn't have to spend a lot of time working out different methodologies for different types of requirement gathering. It's just I get a requirement, write a story, you know, and it just becomes a lot easier. So, mockups and wireframing. You said you haven't used those, right? Not the actual tools. I again, I usually pen and if I go that or if I need to go that route, I pen and paper it. Yeah. The only the, I've used some of the tools like balsamic, 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 balsamic. however you say it. Bal balsamic, I think. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple others too that I tried to use they were useless in all the situations I tried what was much more useful is just getting the people who needed to make decisions together into a, a room with a whiteboard 
and drawing it on a whiteboard. That that was so much easier and faster. And, uh, you know, it, every time I'd go to use those tools, I'd end up back at the whiteboard. Because I'd bring these, these sheets out, these wireframes and stuff out, or showing them on the in the boardroom on the, the projectors and stuff. And we'd end up just drawing everything on the whiteboard anyway, even if I had those. So it just seemed like it's not terribly useful, those things. Well, I mean, maybe again, nowadays, I mean, if you have more distributed teams or if you're actually, if you're actively building in, in the mock-up tool collaboratively, maybe that would work better. I don't know. Perhaps. Although there are distributed whiteboards now too. That's so I've, I've actually had a lot of good luck with those. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe it's just me and I'm biased cause I love a whiteboard, but I, I just ended up using those for everything. Um, estimating. Oh, holy crap. If you're a project manager and you have to, and, and, you know, you're doing consulting or the CEO says, I've got this product I need. And you have to say it's going to take this long and cost this much. How do we do that? Well, I mean, you get the person who's going to do the work and have them give you an estimate. Right. I mean, that's how you do anything with project management. Yeah, but let's say you're the one that has to give the estimate. Yep. How do you estimate? What are your rules Use of thumb? Use your experience and take a look at what wants to be accomplished and give a range. Right. And I think that's the important thing. And I've give seen the, the short and the long estimate. And usually it's a little bit more than half of what people project. Right. So I, I think there's there's a couple of important things there to keep in mind if you're doing estimating either time or, well, I mean, really what you're estimating is time. How much it's going to cost is just a function of... from that. Yeah. So A, always, always estimate in a range. Programming, especially if you're not just doing a quick bug fix, is has so many unknowns in it that there's no way you're going to nail it to any degree of certainty other than a wide range. Um, I may, I may be able to, to, you know, get it within 50%, you know, like this may take me two to four days, but if I say this is going to take me seven hours, I, I'm never going to hit that unless I just get extraordinarily lucky and I might as well buy a lottery ticket if I'm going to get that lucky. Um, so always do a range. Also, always build in a bit of fudge factor because every time I've done an estimate, um, what I what I whether I'm telling the estimate as I think it's going to happen or or building in my fudge factor, I always end up spending a little more time than what I really think it's going to be because going to write a test and the, the te trying to test this thing is more complicated than I thought it would be. So I have to figure out a new way of testing something, or this is some technology that isn't working as advertised. So when I read it and researched it, it said, yeah, it'll do this. And then I go to implement it and it doesn't quite work that way. And I've got to work around some things, you know, that that's a bigger deal. You get in the middle of the project and, and find out that, what you thought was going to work for an architecture doesn't actually work for this, for this product. And so you have to re-architect some things. So there's always some fudge factor you need to build in and really doing estimation is more of an experience thing than yeah. it is a science thing. It's, it's just, you just have to kind of get a gut feel of, I kind of know how big a deal this project is and what kinds of things it's going to take. So let me, I kind of know how long it'll be. Let me add some fudge factor and then give a range. And there are arguments against 
adding fudge factors necessarily. But, you know, you don't want to... But some of the reason to do that is the adage... Um, uh, was it under-promise, over-deliver? Right. So you definitely want to tend to go that route than the other one. Right. But I think that definitely the other key thing to keep in mind is that the person who's doing the work needs to do the estimating. Like, I do not think that the project manager should pro project manager should project how long something's going to take. In other words, whatever task needs to be done, if it's by a designer, the designer should should do the projection. If it's the if it's a programmer, a junior programmer, they should estimate how long it's going to take them to do this specific unit of work, and give you you know give the project manager a range. Now. One now responsibility the project manager does have is that as he's receiving estimates from different people on the team, he could can gauge how well people are good, how well each person, or excuse me, how well that person can estimate their own work. And then if he's seeing that they're consistently off <laughs> in a certain way, he could, you know, adjust from there. Like this guy keeps giving me two hour project estimates that are six days long. Exactly. Something's off. Exactly. Then he knows, okay, well then, yeah. Either, then that's a communication thing, talking with, all right, hey, why do you keep telling me it's gonna take, oh, just two hours and it always ends up taking six days. Right. So then you can push back. If you were the project manager of a project, you could push back and say, are you really sure it's going to take two hours? Because last, you know. <laughs> because I'm getting ready to tell the CEO that it's going to take a couple hours. Yeah, because, I mean, so, the again, the the big conversion projects that I ran, you know, it fair way ago now when I was the project manager, excuse me, project manager, we gathered everyone up in a room and wrote down exactly what needed to be done with all the subject matter experts. And it was each individual who was going to take on a particular duty that estimated how long it was gonna take. And then we actually used a whiteboard, big, huge whiteboard, and every task was on a post-it note. And then we put the post-it note, post-it note, exactly. <laughs> post-it note on that whiteboard and then we develop dependencies between them. Mm -hmm. And then with that duration, you can actually project when the project's going to complete once you move all the post-it notes around on the whiteboard. Right. So you can tell I'm used to using Microsoft Project in that way. Like for, Gantt for charts and things. Project. Right, because you use a Gantt chart. So you could define dependencies between. Out of curiosity, have you ever used a tool? I haven't recently that allows you to put dependencies between tasks? Sure, Jira does. Jira does? Okay. Yeah. Um, they don't, and I think Jira can actually produce Gantt charts, but I don't think anybody ever in, in web development, yeah. nobody looks I, at yeah, Gantt I've charts. I've never seen, yeah, I've never seen I one. mean, dependencies are sometimes important, but, but you try to steer away from that, if you're doing Scrum in a, in a particular sprint, you, you don't want to have a lot of dependencies inside that sprint. We may know that, you know, in order to get this thing done for sprints from now, we have to get this thing done this sprint. So there are dependencies, but I try to stay away from having a lot of interdependencies in a particular sprint because... Well, but it, there are dependencies that exist whether you acknowledge them or not. It well, means sure. like, you know, you can't have your first training class until the software is installed type thing. Well, it depends on your sales department, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably another show. Um, so how, how do you, since, since we're kind of talking about that, how do you break up the work? How do you, how do you pull that stuff apart and how granular do you get when you're doing your planning? Well, I mean, I usually try to break it down to 
say a quarter to say two to four hours, say a quarter to a half a day. So if something's going to take me longer than if I think something's going to take me a week to do, I'm going to break that down further. Now, I may not necessarily in the project management tool document all those sub-steps. Mm -hmm. I mean, I might document it somewhere in there, but at least mentally, if I have a task assigned to me, I'm going to break, break it down into subgroups from there. Right. Particularly if like if estimation is important, like they want to know how long a particular thing is going to take, then I'm definitely going to do the sub breakdowns because otherwise it's, you know, it's like, oh, it's going to take me one to two weeks. But how did you come to that estimate? There's no way to, you know, you would need to break it down into subtasks to get to a better estimate. Right. And I think for me, my experience has been the answer to that question is it depends. It depends very largely on the team and who's who's working at what level on the team. So the more junior the team is, I have found the further I need to break things down because I need to hand more atomic pieces to junior members um, as they're learning. But if I've got a bunch of, you know, Develop, developer four and fives on the team, I can give, I, I don't have to break things down as much. I, there can be bigger chunks to hand out because they intuitively know that these are the steps I'm going to have to go through to well, get they're going to break it down for you. Right. But we don't have to do that physically in the, like in Jira oh, right, or right. Trello or something. Yeah, have all that detail. Um, but, but if I've got a really junior team then that that does need to be done because they you know at that level if you if you know your first year out of college you need some guidance to and we'll talk a lot more about this next week when we talk about the people part of project management but you have to do these breakdowns a little more atomic with more junior people because they just don't have the experience yet to mentally break that stuff down um what what needs to go on especially in a real for-profit production environment because uh, there are more things to consider than just the code um well actually going back to this how how to breaking down the work to be done what like the organizations that you've worked with are there a bunch of senior programmers or is it mostly junior level programmers? Is it a mix? And if they're bringing forth a big new feature or how do they break up the work to be done? Well, again, what have you seen works or doesn't work? I, I've actually been involved in, in all kinds of mixes. I've had, you know, like almost purely junior things that were on um, kind of starter projects or, or bug fix teams. Um, and you know, with bug fixes, those are pretty atomic anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've also had, you know, all senior folks that, uh, you know, you can just say, "Hey, we we need a we need a complete revamp of this whole section of the program." Go. Um, and they just knew what to, you know. But presumably, if it were, there were multiple ones, they would each break up and take a particular piece to tackle. Right, yeah, yeah. Or or maybe pair program it or something. Uh, yes, <laughs> thanks. Jerkweed. Uh oh boy. Um anyway, um so well, at least we know our chat's working. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so but we we were talking about like if you have a bunch of senior programmers and you say, Hey, we need to design this new big module. Right. Would what? they take it and break it up amongst themselves what they want to tackle or would uh, they? A lot of times. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause I've been, I've been both lead and, and um, non-lead in those kind of environments and almost universally we'll just say, here's the glut of work that we've got to get done in this, in this um, sprint, who wants to take what? 
And then people say, oh, I'll take that because I'm an expert on that part. And I'll take that because, and it's, you know, two or three big chunks or however many team members there are. And sometimes if we don't have that many chunks, what will end up happening is, okay, you two guys go pair on this thing. Yeah. And you two go pair on this thing. And then I'll take this smaller one. Right. But it's still dealt with a chunk at a time. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, when I've got, when I'm dealing with very junior members, my preferred way of doing this, and this is usually what most teams are, is you'll have some junior folks and some senior folks. Yeah. And the senior folks can kind of guide the junior folks. Um, but if you're, and it also depends on kind of the corporate culture. Do you do a lot of pair programming? Do they frown on the pair programming? You know, do they want everybody just doing their own thing 40 hours a week? Well, um, but the junior folks need to have smaller chunks to work on because they need a little more, a little more guidance than the senior folks would. Unless you're pairing the junior and the senior together. Right. Which so is that they're constantly learning and becoming hopefully more senior as exactly yeah and that's my preferred environment to be in i think that works best but yeah because the seniors are eventually going to leave yeah <laughs> well the juniors too but plus it's you know it's good to you don't want one person teaching everybody else you want people to have different pair-ups to to get the most out of the different viewpoints and and looking at each aspect of the system right they're working on yeah all right, so I mean that's so that's kind of a bird's eye view of project management, the technical part, and we'll talk about the people part next week. Um, project management is such a huge, even in the web development project management, even specifically focused on that, it's such a huge topic that we could talk about it for days. Um, but we don't have days. This is a hour show, and we're already over an hour or so um so next week we'll be talking about that now i just want to bring up an opinion piece I've, I've because i'm opinionated so i'm gonna let you know what my opinion is i had somebody ask me not too long ago if pmps or um project management professional certifications were necessary for um, web development project management. And here's my opinion. No. PMP certifications are only really necessary if you're trying to get a job as a PMP at one of the big PMP firms. And I say that because, not because I think PMP is, is not worthwhile. But I think you can spend your time better learning other things for web development project management than taking a PMP course. I think that time and effort and, and money would be better spent on other things. Because I don't see PMP helping you in this particular field that much. Yeah, I mean, my opinion is that it's a substitute for experience. So if you don't have any experience, you can demonstrate, but still how much is that going to be worth? It depends on the person who looks at it. There's some people that may look at a certification and say, oh, look, he's PMP certified. Um, but, you know, a lot of these certifications, you know, like becoming a scrum master or who knows if there's a Kanban master, maybe there is, I have no idea. But they're just to give you a base understanding or whatnot, but nothing I think compares to experience of actually running a project. And it's kind of a little bit like, you know, you go to school to learn a class and then if you keep learning at it, you become an artist in that subject itself if you keep practicing your craft. And if these 
you know, becoming a scrum master or a PMP certification or learning these processes for how to do it, it kind of gives you guardrails within which to operate. But then as you find your own way of doing project management and becoming more of an artist or an expert yourself, then some of these rigid requirements kind of fall away. So do I think you need to have a PMP cert? No. Yeah. Do I think you need to understand these methodologies so that you know when to use which parts of which ones? Absolutely. Yeah. And unless the job specifically says, hey, we're taking only PMP certified people, then it's like, well, okay. if you want that job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And do, and do you want that job? <laughs> right. And I think, I mean, the only time I've seen that is, is if you're trying to get a job as a PMP at one of the big PMP firms, um, then of course they're going to take only PMP applicants, which is fine. I've, I, but, I, I've seen it in other jobs like I've applied for Yeah, where it wasn't a requirement, but they were like PMP preferred or something like that. <laughs> okay. How about experience? Does that count? <laughs> All right. So hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, please make sure to like, subscribe, follow, uh, just mash all the buttons and ding all the bells. We're here on Twitch and YouTube live on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. You can also find us online at rubberduckdevshow.com. And we are in the process of, um, in addition to being on YouTube and Twitch, we're going to be getting the podcast, which is basically audio replays of the shows, and once that, that'll be available on the website, once that's up and running, and we'll make an announcement on the show when it's ready. Right. But that should be on the different podcasting providers once, once it's ready. I will also be setting up a Discord server for us pretty soon so that we can get together and chat outside of the Wednesday 8 o'clock hour. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Feel free to join and ask questions and chat in the Discord server once that's up and live. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Please come back and see us next Wednesday when we'll be talking about Project Management Part 2, The People, uh, which I'm actually very excited for because that's the part I really like. Um, so uh, we will see you next week. Yep. Bye. Bye.